This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of January 30th, 2023. And uh, I was out last week, so it's been a couple weeks. Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's very cold here in New York and very windy. If we end up with any background noise on the podcast, I'm sorry, but I think the weather is not going to be better (laughs) at any point (laughs) this weekend. It's just going to be really loud wind for a lot of the time. So hopefully the sound quality is okay. And if not, I apologize. Um, Yeah. Doing all right. Like nothing to report. (laughs) But well, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I was was gone last week at a conference, um, and it's at the ritzy, fancy hotel down in Colorado Springs. So, uh, yeah, I got to go there, and my birthday was the first day of the conference. So, my wife came down, and we, uh, I I did a little bit of conferencing, and then we went to the spa at this fancy schmancy hotel and got massages and hung out in uh, the sauna and steam rooms and such for like two hours. So very nice and happy birthday. Thank you. It was awesome. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. the best conference I've done. (laughs) Nice. That sounds pretty great. Yeah. And then of course it's back to, you know, reality after that. It's like, yeah. Why even bother? Mm -hmm. Any video game news? I am almost finished with Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like 85% through. Okay. And, I, and I'm only at like 14 hours, so it's really not a big game. But mm, yeah. But it is fun. How about fun. you? Yeah. I'm a good portion of the way through replaying uh, Stardew Valley. Well, once you know the once you know the patterns, you can just speed run it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure I'm speed running. I think I've got a good like sixty hours on the save file. Already. Oh, I've never been, mind. I'm, I've been I've been at it for a while, but my my other save file had like three hundred hours, and I and I still am not at a hundred percent completion. Um, and this one, I think it, it's going much more smoothly because I kind of knew what to expect as I was getting started. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing Hades. Mm-hmm. with my husband kind of handing the controller back and forth because it's a single player game, but we both wanted to play it. So, nice. um, and enjoying that one. I don't know why it's more fighting than I expected. <laughs> I should have expected a lot of fighting, you know, like as I yeah. hear myself talking, I'm like, come on, Emily, what were you thinking? There's a lot of fighting, but I'm enjoying it. And I don't know what to expect mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like, yeah, like I'm not I'm not sure how it's all going to play out. So like am I am I almost done? Am I just getting started? I'm not really sure. Nice. I haven't like looked up too much information cuz I didn't want a whole lot of spoilers. So mm. I don't really know how far in we are. Yeah. Uh yeah, the premise of Hades is like you're like the son of Hades trying to escape the underworld and then every time you fail, you like go back. Mhm. Uh and start again. Yes, we call that a we call that a roguelite in the gaming world. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard that term. Thank you. Yeah. So, like, it's hard. To, uh, I I don't really know. Like, every 
every new round, like we're getting new tools and like things are leveling up and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I'm not really totally sure what to expect as it progresses. Well, you know, I, I like that. Yeah. I, I don't look up spoilers or like go go to walkthroughs for games usually because I like to I also like to to not know what's coming. Mhm. Yeah. Hey, should we talk about Jeopardy? Probably. Yeah. Probably. We are ostensibly still a Jeopardy show. So although eventually I imagine we will morph entirely into just talking about video games. Yeah. Everybody will love that. We're not that <laughs> yes, our, our two very expert takes on uh anyway. Monday January 30th, we have the contestant Sarah Howard, a PhD candidate from Durham, North Carolina, Sam Meehan, an attorney from Santa Cruz, California, and Jake DeRuta, a delivery dispatcher originally from Ludlow, Vermont, whose one-day cash winnings total $22,797. We have the Jeopardy round categories, Worst Case Ontario, Nursery Rhymes, Geology, 4-4, each response is two four-letter words, Channeling the TV Shows, and ends in a double vowel potpourri. <laughs> it, it you just you didn't need that. It could just be ends in a double vowel. About, yeah. yeah, there's no reason to have that. Hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Whatever. I've had some like kind of old school, kind of preschool teacher kinds of people like bemoan to me that children these days don't know nursery rhymes, <laughs> um, which. Is kind of a weird thing to be upset about, but okay. They're very important <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I'm perplexed. At, like, what? Why are these important? I guess, I guess, as like cultural references, but like, I don't know. You can catch up on your cultural references later. But also, like, a, a whole set of adults who passed the Jeopardy test and audition process missed three out of the five nursery rhymes clues. So maybe this isn't like a problem with kids these days. <laughs> maybe yeah. nursery rhymes are not as well known as some people might imagine them to be in general. Right. Uh, especially I, like nursery rhymes are fine, but they, they effectively mean nothing. Mm-hmm. They are things to entertain small children with when you're trying to get them to sleep or yep. mm-hmm. to, to, to keep their brain occupied so they don't do something stupid (laughs) like that's that's it and if you do if you do that with something else then that's also fine yeah you can teach your children all the lyrics of what does the fox say that's fine they can learn that instead of georgie porgie put in pie Mm -hmm. which some of these nursery rhymes i'm not so sure about the about the you know no, if you if you take <laughs> if you break them down, a lot of them are not great. Yeah, not not really pro social behaviors. Let's not kiss the girls and make them cry. Right, <laughs> um, but both of those things probably bad. Um, and if that is a combination of them, then definitely mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, but like even like the old timey language that they use like has no relevance to what kids are learning. Hmm. So. I mean, they're fine. I have nothing against nursery rhymes. I remember a number of them, but also they are singularly useful in Jeopardy. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the contestants got two out of the five here. Jake missed uh, the one about who uh, who is it who sits on a tuffet and eats curds and whey. 
he almost got it. Who he said who is Little Miss Muffets? Sam got the rebound with Little Miss Muffet. Uh, nobody knew what Georgie Porgy did when the boys came out to play. Uh, that is ran away. There were a, a few misses here. Yeah, and it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. And you know, kids these days just these don't days. learn about rocks formed by heat at great depths <laughs> yes. within the earth. It can be called abyssal or this after the Roman god of the underworld. That's plutonic. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a triple stumper in the geology category. And you kids know, it's days. just a shame. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame. Back Where in my have day. our values gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Daily Double number one is in the 4-4 category at the $800 level. And Jake finds it at the 10th pick. He has 1,000 with Sam at 1,400 and Sarah at zero. And he makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue with someone outwardly gentle but forceful. You'll find this in a velvet glove. And he gets it correct. It is an iron hand. So that, that gets him into the lead and he keeps the lead. As we end the Jeopardy round, uh, Jake is at 6,200 with Sam at 2,200 and Sarah at 800. And the double Jeopardy categories are exploration, saints and their cities, words that should rhyme, mushroom stew, scary movies, and out on a book tour. These were all books that had tour in their title. Yeah. I did extremely bad. In that category. I did not actually do very well in it either. The only one I got was the $400 clue. Henry James' 1884 book, A Little Tour in This Country, begins naturally at tools. Um, <laughs> that's France. <laughs> I got yeah, I, I didn't know the book, but I recognized the French city. All the other ones, though, I was like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I was a little embarrassed that I didn't know the $2,000 clue just because I got a different question about the person who is the answer here or the question, the correct response. The Jason Siegel film, The End of the Tour, was an adaptation of a book subtitled A Road Trip with this three-named author. And that's David Foster Wallace. Hmm. I didn't know about this book about David Foster Wallace, but I did answer a question about David Foster Wallace on my, my one game of Jeopardy. It's true you did. So now I feel resp- personally responsible for knowing David Foster Wallace things. Yeah. I mean, you are the expert on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoy the words that should rhyme because mm. I, I like to make words that should rhyme rhyme when I say them out loud. Um, yeah. Much to the confusion of my children. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite pastimes. Although I haven't done it with any of these, like a female rabbit and an Oxford is a doe and a shoe. I don't think I've ever pronounced a, a doe as a do or a yeah. shoe as a show. Show. <laughs> show. I enjoyed the $1,600 level proverbial coal mine avian and wheat storehouse. I got them both. They are canary and granary. I just, it hadn't occurred to me that they look like they should rhyme. And so mm-hmm. once it was pointed out, I, I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. A granary. Yeah. Or a can- well, cannery is a different word, right? Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. And it's spelled mm-hmm. different, yeah. Our language is stupid. Mm-hmm. Mushroom stew is, is wigging me out because I've started watching The Last of Us. Mm. 
mm-hmm. I guess maybe that should have been my update. I started watching The Last of Us. I haven't even watched the whole first episode yet, but it's a HBO zombie post-apocalyptic thing. Has, is everybody already watching The Last of Us? I'm usually the last one to know about TV shows. It is fairly new. There, it's okay. only got a few episodes out, so you're yeah. you're on it. Yay, I'm on it. <laughs> but in this case, uh, I guess the thing that makes people zombies is a a, a fungal infection, mm-hmm. and fungi freak me out when I think about them. So <laughs> mostly, I don't. <laughs> so you've chosen a really good good pastime. Yes, yes, I make great choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we we will move on. Yeah. So you don't have to think about that much more. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in the exploration category at the $1,200 level. Jake finds it at pick number six in the round. He's up to 11800 Sam's at 4200 Sarah's at 800 He bets 5000 uh, Gets a clue. These rough notes and our dead bodies must tell the tale. Uh, this British explorer wrote in 1912 in one of his final diary entries. And Jake gets correct with who is Robert Falcon Scott. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three is in Scary Movies at the $1,600 level. Sarah finds this one at the 19th pick. She's at 3200 with Jake at 20400 and Sam at 11800 She wagers 800 Probably you want to make it a true Daily Double at this point. Like if you are lucky enough to find Daily Double three. Yeah with a buzz saw on the stage like you've you've got to go for it mm-hmm. uh she gets the clue bram stoker's widow got a court order to have this 1922 german silent classic destroyed but it survived as vampires do uh she tried what is dracula um but nosferatu is what we were uh, looking for here yes so as it turns out the small wager i guess was for the best because she drops down a little bit and at the end of that double Jeopardy round, Jake is at 26,000, but Sam is within reach at 13,400, and Sarah's at 2,000. The final Jeopardy category, word origins, and the clue originally relating to a story of suffering, this word now more commonly refers to strong emotion of any kind. This turned into a triple stumper. Uh, Sarah was almost there. She wrote, what is intense? And then crossed it off and began writing passion, but only got P-A-S-S out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was not acceptable. She wagered everything but a dollar. Sam wrote, what is drama? That's incorrect. And wagered everything. So he drops to zero. And uh, Jake also got a correct with what is mortal. Uh, he made a small cover bet of 803. Uh, they were looking for passion. Mm-hmm passion yeah when you hear the phrase the passion of the christ that's the older usage right and suffering mm-hmm. i don't know if there was another good route in but that's kind of that was that was my my reference point that mm-hmm. um where i was like oh yeah that's that's what they're looking for yeah uh so that brings us to tuesday we have the contestants liz mendoza a teacher from phoenix arizona soren bleefnik a business intelligence analyst from los angeles california and jake diaruda a delivery dispatcher originally from Ludlow, Vermont, whose two-day cash winnings total $47,994. And the Jeopardy round categories are in the right place with in and quotation marks, sci-fi and fantasy, ad verbs and taglines, get stuffed, the silent and not silent letter where they will describe a word 
that contains the same letter twice and one is pronounced and the other is not. And you have to say what the letter is. Mm-hmm. And uh, video category, Jason Concepcion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely know who that is. He is a podcaster. He's a podcaster. Yep. <laughs> and that's what I knew about him. Mm-hmm. You know, if Jeopardy needs some podcasters to do video clues, I and Kyle. <laughs> Definitely have the same listenership as mm-hmm. Mr. Yes. For sure. But yeah, no, really, if you do, I mean, if they want. Yeah, if you're looking for people, mm-hmm. if you're looking for people. Hit us up. We are, in fact, people. People desperate for any ongoing connection with Jeopardy. <laughs> Please. I just, I need it so bad. I just want to come back. Please. Um, <laughs> I feel like we were mostly off the beaten path in sci-fi and fantasy, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. Not the most common uh, authors or titles. Although yeah. I thought they were all pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like referring to people as red shirts. Yeah. From the $600 clue. Mm-hmm. Um, the clue is a Star Trek homage. This colorful John Scalsey title refers to clothing soon to die crew members wear. Those are red shirts. Yeah. Not a lot of people get that reference, though. Sorry. Oh, do they not? <laughs> In like my circles outside of trivia. Get better friends. <laughs> um, I'm <Wow>. sure. <laughs> I, my circles are very nerdy, apparently, because that would definitely. Yeah, my circles are super cool. <laughs> We also had a throwback to uh, our episode and a question you got correct at the thousand dollar level of sci-fi and fantasy because there was it was a wheel of time question. Mm. You stole that one from me. Did I get a wheel of time? You, question? you did. You did. I don't, even, I don't even remember it. And it was worth a lot of money too. <laughs> well, now I have to find it. You got David Foster Wallace. Oh yeah, you're right. It was a sixteen hundred dollar clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yes. Yep. Which you very rudely rang in on. Yes. Rude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a very similar question, too, about Brandon mm-hmm. Sanderson taking on the finishing of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I read 11 of those books. Yeah, I, I read I read zero of those books, but... Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I guess, I, guess you, I guess it's fine. You can have it. <laughs> there are many Wheel of Time fans in my circles. I've been in numerous conversations and listen to numerous people explain various aspects of the wheel of time series to me, including the uh, Robert Jordan to Brandon Sanderson handoff. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I felt entitled to that clue. I was like, Oh, Uh, this one is for me. I have learned this in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I can, I guess I can understand that. Yeah. Daily double number one is in the right place category at the thousand dollar level pick number six and jake finds it as well he's at three thousand soren and liz are at zero because he just ran a category and he wagers everything and gets the clue this european city had the good fortune to host the olympics twice in 1964 and 1976 and he gets it correct with what is innsbruck mm-hmm. uh, so at the end of the jeopardy round jake is at six thousand he really did not move after that daily double pretty much at all uh, Soren's at 5,200 and Liz is at 2,400. We have the double jeopardy categories, historical fiction, medical folks, a capital offense, headgear. They wrote the movie and three letter palindromes. 
there was a lot of overlap between they wrote the movie and this week's like learned league mini leagues. Mm-hmm. Are you playing those? I am not. Okay. I don't remember what came up where, but there's the crossovers and there's the philosophy of pop culture. Hmm. Um, and one of them had Lady Bird, which mm-hmm. was also the $800 level of They Wrote the Movie. Greta Gerwig wrote and directed this 2017 film starring Saoirse Ronan as an artistic teenager. I think that one might have been in crossovers. And philosophy of pop culture, I'm pretty sure, had a question about the movie at the $2,000 level, as well as directing Ingmar Bergman wrote this 1957 classic featuring a chess game with death. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast. Chess mm-hmm. game with death is the seventh seal. That's mm-hmm. a thing that you should know. Yep. That is always going to come up about the seventh seal and the seventh seal comes up probably more than it has any right to. Yeah. I don't know. I've never seen it, so I don't know if it's yeah. actually good, but it is iconic. It's probably good. But yeah. yeah, no, it comes up on Jeopardy. It's just one of those things that Jeopardy writers like to write clues about. Mm-hmm. Um, the $1,200 clue of the palindromes category, Hildegard of Bingen was a noted one. And I know she was a nun. I know she was a nun. Mm-hmm. But I encountered her in the context of her being a nun, but also as like one of the first composers mm-hmm. of Western music. And so I was like, musician, singer composer those are not three letter words yeah but she apparently was also a nun i guess yeah my college choir sang some hildegard or maybe just one hildegard of bingen like a chant thing Mm -hmm. and so our conductor tended to repeat himself a lot as conductors Uh. do so no (laughs) uh i cannot tell you how many times i've heard him explain that hildegard of bingen was a nun a composer a scientist a mystic she also wore glasses he would sometimes add on she she did a lot she was a (laughs) it was before the renaissance but she was a renaissance woman Mm -hmm. um she was a multifaceted individual yes she was yeah but she Um, she was a nun that's a palindrome indeed um, there's a YouTube channel called Hildegard von Blingen <laughs> and, uh, it is kind of medieval or Renaissance reinterpretations of modern pop music. If That's you want fun. a good time, you hmm. know, check it out. I'm realizing I have a small Hildegard of Bingen, uh, like figurine doll thing off just hmm. immediately to my right right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she also, she also apparently had visions and prophecies. Yes. Yes, she did supposedly don't mix her up with the other important women who were nuns and had visions though. There's Julian of Norwich. There's Teresa of Avila. There's probably others. Oh, there's Bernadette. (laughs) Yeah. Like the one you talked about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Daily double number two is in the historical fiction category at the $1,600 level. And Jake finds it as the sixth pick. He has 10,400 at this point with Soren at 7,600 and Liz at 2,400. He wagers 4,600 of it and gets the clue, a flyer in her own right. She's the subject of Melanie Benjamin's bestseller, The Aviator's Wife, and we need her first name. He gets it correct with Anne Morrow Lindbergh. Yes, which is a good pull. Yeah. I was like, hmm, Mrs. Lindbergh. <laughs> uh, be more specific. They 
called for yeah. the specificity in the, the I, yeah they said it very clearly yeah i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't argue with that one and daily double number three is in the medical folks category at the 1600 dollars level it's pick number nine and liz finds this one mm-hmm she is at 3,600. Jake is up to 15,800. Soren's at 7,600. Uh, and she wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. Helen Tossig developed the first treatment for cyanatic infants, this alliterative syndrome. And she quickly says, what is blue blood? Uh, and is ruled incorrect. And then oh, no. remembers that yeah. it is, in fact, blue babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a bummer. Yep. And... Jake just keeps building through this round. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Jake has a lock with 21,000. Soren's at 8,800. Liz is at 200. Uh, so she has to be on stage at least yes. for final Jeopardy. She um, made it. Yes. Uh, the category is U.S. state names. And the clue is five U.S. states have six letter names. Only these two west of the Mississippi River border each other. This was a triple stumper. Um, Liz tried what Kansas and uh, didn't come up with a second state. She wagered everything, so she drops down to zero. Soren tried what are Oregon and and uh, didn't come up with a second one. He wagered 200, so he'll finish with at 8,600. He'll be in second place. And Jake also tried what are Kansas and and didn't come up with a second one. Oregon and Nevada. Yes. Are what we're looking for here. Yeah. I had a hard time remembering if Nevada went farther north than the California border or if yeah. California went farther north than the Nevada border. But it was the only one that I could come up with in the time. So, yeah, I was, I was able to get there, but I thought that was that was trickier than it might seem at first. Yeah, that's a tricky one. It has a number of steps, right? You got to figure out which ones have six letters and then you got to figure out what is where. Mm hmm. Yeah. Somehow, when I think six letters, I want to think two syllables. Mm. And so I'm not sure I would have gotten to Oregon in yeah. time. Kansas was a, was a big mislead because it does border a lot of states. And yeah. you have to kind of go through all of them. Anyway, that brings us to Wednesday, February 1st, when we have the contestants Aaron Bola, an emergency medical doctor from New York, New York. Patty Palmer, a bookseller and retired teacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Jake DiRuda, a delivery dispatcher originally from Ludlow, Vermont, whose three-day cash winnings total $68,661. When we have the Jeopardy round categories, inventors and inventions, hodgepodge, literary gems, a rock, you break, uh, break in quotation marks, <laughs> and a friendly game of billiards. Snooker is a thing that I have never learned but I know that it has 15 red balls. Mm -hmm. So I knew the $800 clue, but the fact that the world championship final took almost 15 hours in 1985 makes me never want to learn it. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of game. A lot of game. I like my games to be about 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, there are tennis matches that go on for many hours and I'm just like, mm -hmm. man, how can you do that? And then there's, you know, a cricket test, which can take days. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a clean 15 kind of guy. It's like, if you can't, can't get it done in 15 minutes, I don't think it's really worth it. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. I like baseball. I guess we're far enough out now. It's been 20 years. The $400 clue of Iraq. In 2003, the USA's 75th Exploitation Task Force searched Iraq for these, WMDs for short, but didn't find any. It's weapons of mass destruction. 
that would have seemed like a, a controversial statement at one point. <laughs> yeah. But I think we're, I think everyone just kind of understands it's verified facts now. Uh huh. Yep. Like, nope, there just weren't any. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. We mentioned this place a couple of weeks ago in the hodgepodge category at 600, the $600 level, a 2022 car chase in the UK ended with the driver producing a license from the driving school of this toy brick themed theme park. Jake got that one. It's Legoland. Ooh, <laughs> which, Legoland. Yeah. Spreading chaos across the world. The model citizens would not approve. No. I, mm, I've i never gotten my kid. Like you, you have to pay extra to have the driver's license thing printed, right? Like your kid gets mm. to like get in the little Lego looking car and like drive around the little like Lego city, like town with traffic signals and stuff. And then it ends and, and you have to like walk them past the area where you can get like a little driver's license printed with their picture. Mm, but you have to pay for that. It's like $22. Good Lord. It's right. <laughs> We have off. a printer at home. Yeah. So it never occurred to me that you could try and present it to an officer as legal <laughs> identification and authorization to drive a real car. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Uh, daily double number one is in the Iraq category at the $800 level, and Jake finds it as the 12th pick. He has 2200 He's tied with Patty. Aaron's at negative 200 He makes it a true daily double and gets the clue about 20% of Iraq's population is this ethnic group that today administers three northern provinces there. And he gets it correct. It is the Kurds. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, he's in the lead with 7800 Patty has 3800 Aaron's at 1000 and the double jeopardy categories are mountains. Pardon me. If ancient Greek deities were around today, Z category with Z in quotation marks, TV character first names, and overlaps. It was kind of a, it's like a before and after, right? Like It's kind of before and after, except they, it's more like portmanteaus. Yeah, some of them were portmanteaus. Almost all of them portmanteaus but but not not all that not all but I, i'll tell you what the spaghetti topper for carnivores that dances a pot of dew in a tutu that one meat ballet dancer or meat ballerina <laughs> that disturbs me i don't that just <laughs> that one feels just really bad to me you didn't have a charming cartoon image of like a little meatball with arms and legs and like a little a little ballet outfit no see that would have made more sense i pictured (laughs) a person but just like bloody and raw as like oh uh, no just like meat it was not fun you're supposed to cook the meatballs before you put them on top of the spaghetti but when you make oh don't even okay yeah, you're so right. My imagination. How? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Isn't critical Massachusetts just called Boston? That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. It's tough, but fair. <laughs> South Boston, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a $2,000 clue there. Mm-hmm. The minimum amount of fissionable material to sustain a nuclear chain reaction in the Bay State. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. a clever, clever pun, though. Clever. Yeah, I liked it. I thought that 
the moment with Aaron at the $2,000 level of Z category was funny. Um, there was a picture and then the clue was take the first two letters from the legs and the first four letters from the upper body to get the name of this hybrid critter. It was like a stripey, like beast of burden looking thing. And Aaron rang in and tried what is a Z donk. And that is what they were looking for. And he said, I made that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> He, he made it up, but he also like he used the picture. He followed the instructions and he came up with the word. So, you yeah, know, made a that's good fine. Guess. Yeah, also good guess. Uh, I take some issue with the $400 clue of the ancient Greek deities. He rode a chariot pulled by fiery horses and brought daylight to the world. Now he's a super champ riding trotters in Yonkers. I don't know what that. Oh, I guess that's just if he were around today. Patty Ringan said, who's Apollo? That's not really Apollo's story. That's Helios. Huh. Helios was the god who rode the chariot across the sky. Eventually got subsumed into Apollo lore as Apollo was the god of light. Okay. And Helios was a lesser god that eventually just became part of Apollo. But uh, I don't know. I I imagine they would have accepted Helios. Probably it was either one that would have been accepted. But still. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, daily double number two is in the mountains category. It's at the $1,200 level, pick number three. Uh, Jake finds it. He's at $7,800. Patty's at $3,800. Aaron's at negative $600. He wagers $5,000 and gets a clue. Though it's near the equator, this highest African peak has glaciers above the 15,000-foot level. And he gets it correct uh, with what is Kilimanjaro and can (laughs) reference this Toto, I guess, (laughs) saying that's correct, rising above the Serengeti. (laughs) and daily double number three is at the two thousand dollar level of if ancient greek deities were around today patty finds this one at the 10th pick she has 6600 with jake at eighteen thousand and aaron at negative 600 she wagers six thousand so not quite a true daily double she wants to leave herself a little bit of money if she misses but almost everything and she gets the clue zeus has huge daddy issues in therapy having overthrown and confined dad, this titan, in Tartarus. Also, that dad ate Zeus's siblings. And she gets it correct, it is Cronus. Yeah, but really, who hasn't eaten their children? Or at least some of them. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um... Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, uh, Jake is is well in the lead at 24,800. Patty is at 16,200 and Aaron's at 7,400. Final jeopardy category is literature. And the clue is published in 2011. P.D. James's final novel, Death Comes to Pemberley, was a sequel to this novel from 200 years earlier. Uh, Aaron wrote something, which was what is Odyssey? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a little bit older than 200 years. Yep. Um, that is incorrect. And he wagered 6,400, so he drops to 1,000. Patty got it correct with what is Pride and Prejudice? Mm-hmm. Apparently, Pemberley is Mr. Darcy's estate. So Yes. Uh, and she wagered 16,000, which is too much. Yes. I think, but mm-hmm. well, I guess she's in a tough spot to well. bet enough. No, we're not really. Jake, yeah, Jake would need to wager eight thousand yeah, ish. Yeah, we're yeah, we're expecting Jake to wager what what he does in fact wager was which is seventy six oh one. So he's gonna mm-hmm. drop down if he misses it. 
to 15, 15, 2199, 15199. Yeah. Wait, is that? 16199. 16199. That is a cover. Um, yeah. Think. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. So sh- that is, that is too much strategically, but she gets it correct. And then Jake gets it incorrect by writing, what is Northanger Abbey? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he did make a cover bet of 7601. So mm-hmm. Patty. Yeah is the champ. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Jake did figure out that we were talking about a Jane Austen novel or guessed correctly that we were, but uh, I guess the wrong one here. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of uh, non-contestant like viewers out on social media, sort of gloating that he had lost and uh, blah. Yeah. You know, we yeah. have time for that. Yep. Mm-mm. Sorry yeah. that a person went on and enjoyed themselves. Yep. And I'm sorry that you chose to watch a person on Jeopardy mm-hmm. enjoy themselves. Yep. Like, get over yourselves. Yep. I mean, people who, f- f- quote unquote, follow me on social media know that I don't post anything. Because usually, <laughs> usually I have a thought. And then after thinking, should I share that with the world? My brain is like, no. No, because that is your thought, and it's important to you, Mm -hmm. and nobody else. And your opinion, while it matters to you, does not need to be part of the discourse. Mm -hmm. And yet, there are so many people who just, for some reason, think that it is necessary and important for them to just say terrible things about a stranger. Nobody needs to be doing that. Yeah, I'm not telling you what to think. I am telling you what not to do, though. Yeah, I am pretty liberal about sharing my opinions on, well, not on my public social media, on places where my friends can see them, but you, but not, not really like I just hate a random person I saw on television. Like that's yeah. not, that's, that's an inside your head thought. Yeah. That's a, you know, work on that with your therapist thought. Like what is bringing up such big feelings for you about this human? Like... That you that have, you have met. never met and has done uh-huh. absolutely nothing to you. Not a thing. Not a thing. And, yeah. Anyway. I'm sure none of our listeners are those people. Mm. They better not be. They better not be. That brings us to Thursday, where we have the contestants Matthew Marcus, a software developer from Portland, Oregon, Anita Parala, a product management consultant from Jersey City, New Jersey, and Patty Palmer, a bookseller and retired teacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who has one day of cash winnings totaling $32,200. And the Jeopardy round categories are Dwight Eisenhower, Art Puri, Why? Seven Heaven, <laughs> B plus three, Toucan, play that game. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great pairing. I love that. That, is, that was good. That yes. was good. Matthew had a charming British accent also. Does. Yes. Currently mm-hmm. does. Probably still does. Probably still does. It was fun to hear him say Yahtzee in the play that game category at the $800 level. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. The toucan category. This is just so much good stuff here. We've got Fruit Loops. We've got Dora the Explorer. We had a triple stumper about Encanto. This 2021 Disney film set in mountainous Colombia saw Alan Tudyk chittering away as the voice of the toucan. I didn't know that was Alan Tudyk. And 
Uh, Matthew, Matthew tried what is cocoa, which is a reasonable guess. Although cocoa is Mexico and was released, I don't know, like 20, I don't know, 14, 13, 12, somewhere that in there. Long ago? Oh, it couldn't be that I long think, ago. I think maybe it was it. Let's see. When was it? Oh yeah. No, it was later than I thought. 2017. Okay. 2017 for Coco. Yeah. I was worried. Yeah. Sorry about that. My bad. Yeah. Mountainous Columbia. It's like, oh, the Gabriel Garcia Marquez movie. Yes. No. <laughs> we had George of the Jungle. Mm-hmm. Did you mm-hmm. watch George of the Jungle? Back oh, I the- watched George of the Jungle. Had- Both the movie and the cartoon. Mm-hmm. I think we had it on VHS. I think I've seen George of the Jungle. Like... <laughs> Do you remember the time when like each family had a set of VHS tapes and it was like Mm -hmm. a number that could fit on a bookshelf? Yeah. Like whichever were the random movies your family were, you just watched them like dozens of times. Yeah. I mean, my kids also watch. That's what you do. Yeah. My kids also watch the same movie dozens of times, but they have a library of thousands to choose from. Right. It was different then. Yes. Alan Tudyk, man. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. He's got them the market cornered for Disney bird things. <laughs> Cause I think he's also the uh Hey Hey, right? Yeah, he's Hey Hey yeah. and Moana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yep. He's a leaf on the wind. He is a leaf on the wind. Daily Double number one is in the art pre <laughs> category at the <laughs> Six hundred or eight hundred dollar level. Pick number nine. Anita finds it. She's at eight hundred. Patty's at four hundred. Matthew's up to three thousand. Uh, she wagers a thousand and gets the clue. In seventeen eighty six, this artist was appointed court painter to Spain's King Charles the Third. And it looks like she's guessing, but she gets it right with who is Goya. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Patty's at twenty two hundred. Anita's at four thousand, and Matthew is at sixty six hundred. We have the double Jeopardy categories: Big River. The book's supporting characters, Nobel-winning scientists, word and phrase origins, pop music, and getting close to the end. Ken sort of made much of Patty's history as an English teacher and a current bookseller, retired English teacher, current bookseller, um, mm-hmm. with her with her success in literature categories. Although the other contestants also did fine, probably they also enjoy books. <laughs> I don't think that's an assumption we can make about Jeopardy contestants. <laughs> may or may not have ever read anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had every pedant's favorite word in the $800 level of getting close to the end. Put seven letters before ultimate to get this word, meaning the one before the next to last. Uh, and Anita got it with anti-penultimate. It's a great word. Mm-hmm. And it does mean precisely that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the sixteen hundred dollar level of pop music. I was like, why did Ken say free Britney after he was he was pointing out where the clue was in twenty twenty two? She was free to duet with Elton John on the song "Hold Me Closer." It was Britney Spears? So mm-hmm. if she was free to was the clue there. Right. Of the you, free Britney yeah. campaign. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two actually is the very first pick of the round in the book supporting characters at the $1,600 level. And Patty finds it. She has $2,200 with Anita at $4,000 and Matthew at $6,600. And she wagers $2,000 of that and gets the clue Dr. Brodsky and Dim a droog until he's very much not a droog. And she gets it correct. It's a clockwork orange. Mm -hmm. 
And daily double number three is in Big River at the $800 level. Matthew finds this one. He has got himself up to 21,400 without daily doubles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Patty is at 9,800 and Anita is at 10,400 and he wagers 8,000 to put the game away. He gets the clue. No respect though. More than 2,300 miles long. This North American river is still just a tributary and he gets it correct with what is the Missouri. Mm -hmm. At the end of the double jeopardy round, Matthew has a lot game. He's at 32,200. Anita's at 10,800. Patty's at 9,400. The final jeopardy category is mythology. And the clue is Poseidon carried off the maiden Theophany and turned her into a U. Uh, their offspring was the source of this mythical object so they all got it correct um patty has wagered nine thousand and responds what is the golden fleece anita has wagered eight thousand and one so she's looking to get above patty if patty doubles up which patty didn't quite double up uh, left herself a little bit of a cushion there for, you know, what I guess it's fine. Matthew has a lot game. Um, yeah. yeah. So Anita, Anita wagers 8,001 to guarantee herself second place if she gets it correct. And she does. And Matthew also has, what is the golden fleece? And he wagers 10,000, um, not risking his lock uh, and giving him 42,200 for the game. So big win. Yeah. And on Friday, we have the contestants, Ricky A. Rivera II, an employee stock ownership plans analyst from Chicago, Illinois, Andrew Bembedek, a construction project manager from Los Angeles, California, and Matthew Marcus, a software developer from Portland, Oregon, whose one-day cash winnings total $42,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, 19th century names, second cities, the number two population city in their country. Juice bar. That's a crime. Roman numeral spelling. And Michael Bolton, as in moving fast. Yes. Fast people. Fast mics. Named Michael. Quick mics. Mm -hmm. Roman numeral spelling is the category that I never knew I needed. And now you, now you do know. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a great one. They should bring it back. Yeah. Tomorrow. Every yes. Day. All day, every day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we had in there, for example, take it easy, 1,001, 50, 500. So Ricky rang in and struggled with it. And then Andrew got the correct response. So 1,001 is MI, 50 is L. 500 is D. So mild was the response there. Mm -hmm. Such a fun category. Such a fun category. And they were quick about it too, quicker than I was. They they were able to get to them just just a bit quicker than I was on pretty much all of it. But Mm, yeah, I thought the $800 level of juice bar was very funny. You say tomato, I say this juice brand (laughs) with a touch of seafood broth that's been around since the 60s. Andrea got that one. It is Clamato. Although then Ken responded pronouncing it Clamato, which do people pronounce it that way? I've never heard that that way, but yeah, I, he said, yeah, or delicious Clamato or Clamato. (laughs) 
And uh, yeah, Andrew said something like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I've ever had Clamato. You know, I don't think I have either. I'm sure there is someone out there who enjoys it and good for you. But that is one yeah. thing that I am okay never trying. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have a strong objection to trying it, but also like clearly it is not something that I've pursued. Right. Yeah, it's whatever. I haven't tried it. Maybe it's good. I'll yeah. give you the benefit of the doubt, Clamato. I mean, I don't think I would drink it in a non-alcoholic beverage, but like, you know. Yeah, I, if I have something like going bro- my senses. I like a Bloody Mary with like a shrimp on the garnish, you know. Okay. Or, I, you know, yeah. Somebody said, you know what this tomato juice needs to be stinky. <laughs> and so they did. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in Second Cities at the $1,000 level, and Matthew finds it at the seventh pick. He has $2,600 with Andrew at $1,000 and Ricky at negative $400. He wagers $2,000 and gets the clue Bulawayo in this nation is home to State House built by Cecil Rhodes. And he gets it correct. It is Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And Ken helped us kind of see a way to make the connection by mentioning uh, that Zimbabwe is formerly known as Rhodesia, named for Rhodes. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matthew's at 8,600, Andrew's at 4,600, Ricky is at 3,400. The double Jeopardy categories are the plays and playwrights are the thing, a little astronomy, the national park system, water music, first off, how dare you, and (laughs) now we duel. Uh, I like that. Oh, yeah. yeah First off, how dare you? Yeah. I'm sure that people have said it outside of, oh gosh, what's the character's name? Yeah, uh, Kelly Kapoor. Yeah, Ke- Kelly Kapoor, yes, uh, in the office, but... She owns that line now. Yeah, it's her- it's hers. It is- it's one of my go-to gifs. <laughs> it's a good one. Mm-hmm. So those were just all about uh, different different terms for insults or things that yeah. give offense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not a single person is surprised that alexander hamilton and aaron burr came up and now we duel nope because how could they not mm-hmm. i i would have been surprised if they hadn't mm-hmm. yep matthew had a certain amount of vitriol in his voice at the $400 level when he answered. Uh, seen here, film director Willie Rozier. Rozier? Rozier? I don't know. Don't know. Fought a duel over the negative words of Francois Chalet, who was this type of writer. And he says, what's a critic? Can ask for more specific. And he says, a movie critic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, Ricky had a tough miss in... Uh, the national park system mm-hmm. at the $1,200 level, uh, an Alabama historic site invites you to journey back to the 1940s and learn about this group of black military aviators. He said, what are the Tuskegee white ring red wings? And that was not correct. And then there was something weird that happened where Matthew rang in his lights turned on and then turned off. Like maybe they were like debating it at the judge's table i don't know yeah something something weird happened yeah something weird happened and then andrew rang in and got it with the tuskegee airmen but red 
tail? The red tails. Red tails. Yeah, not red wings. Mm -hmm. So Ricky had recalled a somewhat more obscure term, but hadn't didn't have it entirely correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, it's that tough. was rough. Yeah. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't just do uh, like an alternate clue. Yeah. Given, they probably should have given, yeah, given the weird timing and the way that Ken ruled was like, yes, no. Oh yes. Yeah. It gave oh, too wait, much. No, we're not taking that. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't. Yeah. And they, then that they left it in. Yeah. I don't know. They could make it look much better, mm-hmm. like a cleaner production than it was. Yeah, but Michael Davies does like us to, you know, peek behind the curtain. Yeah, so which I appreciate. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like them making it look like a cleaner production than it was, like because those kinds of hiccups can be very unnerving. Yeah, they can affect your play a lot. When they all get edited out and you have a game that looks very clean, except that one contestant all of a sudden is very flustered. Yeah. Uh, Not that Ricky necessarily was in this case, right? But like we had some tricky situations on our, on our tape days that, that did really get cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and I think it, when you make it look like everything was very clean, but somebody just really couldn't hang, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do a service to the contestant. Right. Agreed. Day of the Double number two is the first pick in the round. It's in the plays and playwrights category at the $2,000 level. Ricky finds it. The scores are the same that they were uh, just before break. And uh, he wagers 3400 which is everything. It's a clue. We need your initial reaction to this 1988 David Henry Wong play about a singer in the Beijing opera with many secrets. Uh, and he gets it correct with what is M Butterfly. And I think... I don't know if it was Andrew or Matthew or both, but there was like audible. I don't. I don't know what I would call it, but like they were like, "Yeah, yeah, nice. That was good." Like, 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 <laughs> yeah. like congratulations mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah, and then daily double number three is also very early in the round. Pick number three at the twelve hundred dollar level of a little astronomy, and Matthew finds this one. He's at 10,200 uh, with Ricky at 6,800 and Andrew at 4,600. He wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. This type of astronomy sprang into being thanks to a 1930s investigation into interference with telephone calls. And he gets it correct. It is radio astronomy. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Matthew is in a lock position. He is at 28,800. But Andrew's at 11,800 and Ricky's at 11,200, which are good scores. That weird clue didn't keep Matthew from winning the game. Uh, So that's good. And we have the final Jeopardy category, World War II. And the clue, Mimi Reinhardt, who never learned to type using more than two fingers, produced this with 1,100 names, including hers. And uh, Ricky got it correct with what is Schindler's List? And he wagered everything. Mm -hmm. It's a lock game. Sure. Andrew also got it correct with what is Schindler's list and bet almost everything, everything but $2. So he maintained second place and Matthew got it incorrect. He wrote, what is the Holocaust Memorial? And, uh, he lost 5,000, but kept his lock position. Mm -hmm. So he wins going into the weekend. Yeah. 
And that brings us to the end of the week and the point in the show where we take a break and remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potent potables. You can go there to find some exclusive content. I might even remember to put the quiz questions up on there if I'm feeling saucy. (laughs) And uh, there's a bit of exclusive content. And even if you're not interested in that, you can still support us financially in that regard. Uh, Of course, supporting things financially is important, and there are more important things than us. Not many, but there are some. A handful. Uh, Yeah. Um, And you can find some links to those in the show notes. We haven't updated them in a while, but they're still doing good work. It's true. Uh, So, yeah, you can check those out. Emily. Yes. It is deep dive time. Care to tell the fine folks what I'm going to be talking about? I think maybe you will talk about Nosferatu. Of course I will talk about Nosferatu. Yes! Why would I not talk about Nosferatu? (laughs) Well done. Thank you. This was on the Monday game. Uh, It was a missed daily double in the uh, double Jeopardy round scary movies category. The clue was uh, Bram Stoker's Widow got a court order to have this 1922 German silent classic destroyed, but it survived as vampires do. Sarah didn't know it. It is Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that. I mean, that was on the Monday game and I was like, well, I don't need to look at the other days because that is absolutely what I'm going to look into. Uh, so here we go. The film Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, or in German, let's see if my German's any good. Nosferatu, eine Symphonie des Kraumes is a 1922 silent German expressionist horror film. It was directed by F.W. Murnau and starred Max Schreck as Count Orlock, a vampire who preys on the wife uh, of his estate agent and brings a plague to their town. I'll talk about the similarities and differences between Nosferatu and the story of Dracula as we get in there, but um, uh, it was unlicensed uh it was they did not have permission uh to use the dracula story so they changed names they changed locations and they actually changed a good bit of the story um it's still pretty obviously a ripoff of dracula there's not really a question there but there are uh, certain differences so uh, Nosferatu was produced by Prana Film, which was a german film company that made precisely this movie and then went out of business soon after so that they uh couldn't have to pay the the uh, copyright fines to the Stoker estate. They changed the names and stuff and they they claim that these are represented a defense against copyright infringement even though the original uh German intertitles of the movie acknowledged Dracula as the source. So it was kind of hard for them to say like no it's not Dracula when in the movie it's like yeah we got this from the story of Dracula. Yeah. Um, It was a low-budget film made by Germans for German audiences. They set it in Germany with German-named characters, uh, and they tried to make it relevant to Germans, you know, as much as expressionism can be. So yeah, like the the Jeopardy clue says, Stoker's estate uh, sued over the adaptation of the court ruling, ordered all of the copies of the film to be destroyed. However, as we know, there were some that survived. Uh, So here's the plot. In 1838, in the fictional town, uh, German town of Wiesborg, a man named Thomas Hutter is sent to Transylvania by his employer, estate agent Hernoch, to visit a new client named Count Orlock, 
who is planning to buy a house across from Hutter's own home. He travels out to Transylvania. He stops at an inn, just like in Dracula, where he uh, the, the locals are frightened by the mere mention of Orlok's name. He goes to the castle, where Count Orlok welcomes him in. They are eating dinner, and Hutter accidentally cuts his thumb when uh, Orlok tries to suck the blood out. Uh, but uh, Hutter pulls his hand away and kind of runs off to his room. Uh, he wakes up in the morning to find fresh punctures on his neck, which he attributes to mosquitoes. That night, Orlok signs the documents, purchases the house, and notices a photo of Hutter's wife, Ellen, remarking that she has a lovely neck, which is just such a wonderful compliment. Um, Hutter, in his spare time, apparently, reads a book about vampires that he took from the local inn and starts to suspect that perhaps Orlok is a vampire. He hides in his bed uh, as midnight approaches Orlok enters and Hutter falls unconscious meanwhile we smash cut to seeing uh, his wife awaken from her sleep walks in a trance to her balcony's railing and a uh, one of their friends notices calls a doctor uh, she shouts Thomas's name uh, and then also faints the next day, Hutter explores the castle, only to retreat back to his room after he finds the coffin in which Orlok is resting, dormant in the crypt. Uh, hours later, Orlok piles up coffins on a coach, climbs into the last one before it departs, and Hutter rushes home after learning of this. The direct parallel to the Dracula story, the coffins are put on a ship. Sailors discover rats in the coffins, and by the time the ship makes it to dock, all of the crew are dead. Uh, the ship arrives in Visborg. Uh, Orlok walks off unobserved, carrying one of his coffins, and moves into the house that he purchased. So the rest of the film, a number of deaths follow in the town after Orlok's arrival. The town's doctor blamed it on an unspecified plague that they uh, thought the, were, were brought by the rats on the ship. Uh, Ellen reads the book that Thomas Hutter found, which claims that a vampire can be defeated this is where we start to really depart from the Dracula story. A vampire can be defeated if a pure-hearted woman distracts the vampire with her beauty. She opens her window to invite Orlok in, but faints. Hutter revives her, and, and uh, she sends him to fetch Professor Bulwer, a physician. After Hutter leaves, Orlok enters and drinks her blood, but he is too late. He sees the sun rising, and as it rises, Orlok vanishes in a puff of smoke from the sunlight. Ellen lives just long enough to be embraced by her grief-stricken husband. And the last scene shows Count Orlok's destroyed castle in the Carpathian Mountains, symbolizing the end of his bloody reign of terror. So that's the plot. You know, up to the point that he arrives in Germany, it's pretty much the same as the Dracula story, and then it veers off pretty significantly yeah there have been a number of criticisms about like about the themes in nosferatu particularly fear of the other as well as uh, a number of people pointing to possible anti-semitic tropes mm. particularly like orlok's appearance with the hook-nosed and long claw-like like fingernails bald head stereotypical characters of jewish people from the time um also the general story of a foreigner coming in, spreading plague, uh, and destroying our way of life kind of thing. The idea of the Jew as a disease-causing agent. 
mm-hmm. uh, could be seen there. That is speculative. You know, there's no way of knowing necessarily if that was intended. The director, F.W. Murno was a homosexual. So it, it could be argued that he might have been more sensitive to the persecution of a subgroup. Um, however, we also know that that is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who knows? But uh, it is possible. Uh, it was shot in a variety of places, mostly in the towns of Wismar and uh, Lübeck. Uh, those are the two main locations that it was uh, shot in. They got a number of different houses on the waterfront. Uh, of course, it was set in a fictional city of Visborg. The original screenwriter, Henrik Galen, uh, was tasked with, of course, writing a screenplay adaptation of Dracula. And he did, a, I guess, a decent job. However, some of the pages were lost. Uh, by the time that shooting actually commenced, Morneau had to completely rewrite 12 pages of the script, particularly concerning the last scene of the film. And uh, in order to really drive home the effect and get the timing that he was going for, he actually used a metronome to control the pace of the acting, Hmm. which I think is interesting. Of course, he was silent, so it doesn't matter how much noise you're making, right? Right, yeah. Um, I guess that's a a benefit there. The original score was composed by Hans Erdmann, who was a German film composer. He also composed for The Testament Testament of Dr. Mabuse, which is a crime thriller, and Augustus the Strong from the 1930s. It was performed by an orchestra at the film's Berlin premiere. Uh, Most of the score has been lost to this point, uh, and what remains is only a partial adapted suite. Uh, So throughout the history of Nosferatu screenings, many composers and musicians have written or improvised their own soundtrack. In 2022, there's a Dutch composer, Josef van Wiesems, who recorded a new score which begins with a solo played on the lute and eventually transforms through electric guitar and distorted recordings of extinct birds um, <laughs> moving from what he calls uh, subtlety to gothic horror. It goes from silence to noise over the course of 90 minutes, culminating in dense, slow death metal, which I think I kind of want to check out shortly before the premiere an advertisement campaign was placed uh, in uh, German film magazines with uh, photographs, production reports, and essays, including a treatment on vampirism by Alban Kral. Hmm. It opened in the Netherlands on the 16th of February, 1922, at The Hague and Olympia Cinemas, and then in Germany on the 4th of March. And it, it gave Murnau a, uh, a good deal of fame, um, especially since just a few days later, another one of his films was released. However, because... Uh, the lawsuit followed pretty quickly. A lot, like most of the copies were destroyed. However, one of the copies that was maintained uh, was worked on and re-released in 1930 by Valdemar Roger or Valdemar Ronger. He shot some new footage, changed names. Uh, Orlock became Prince Volkov. Hutter and Ellen became Kunberg and Margita. And Murno was no longer mentioned in the credits. Uh, this version, Murno was unaware of. So there's a like a counterfeit, I guess, version out there from 1930. Yeah, and uh, it's had, a, of course, a pretty big legacy. Um, it brought, like I said, Murno into the public eye. It was the first film to show a vampire dying from exposure to sunlight. Mm. 
as we'll talk about, that's a difference from the Dracula story. It currently has really overwhelmingly positive reviews. It has a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. In 1997, Roger Ebert added it to his list of the great movies, saying things like, uh, is it scary in the modern sense? No, not for me. However, it's artistry and ideas, it's atmosphere and images, uh, it's ability to manipulate my emotions like a skillful modern horror film. It knows none of the later tricks of the trade, uh, like sudden threats that pop up from the side of the screen, but it remains effective. It doesn't scare us, but it haunts us. Mm. And the 2000 film Shadow of the Vampire uh, is a fictionalized take on the making of Nosferatu. Uh, and that was starring Willem Dafoe as Max Schreck as Count Orlock, uh, which I think he got nominated for the Oscar for. Also starring John Malkovich as well. Mm. Just a couple more things, a couple of deviations from the novel. So, like I said, the the beginning is pretty similar to the Dracula story. Um, it does leave out Dracula's wives, who are kind of important in the beginning of the book. Um, they attempt to feed on Jonathan Harker, and Dracula stops them, and then gives them a child in a bag. Um, <laughs> and so they they're kind of like they're they're you know secondary characters, but they're kind of important. Um, then the rest of the story before returning to London, which is where Dracula is actually mostly set, not in Germany, uh, is similar. Uh, the ship arrives, Harker, Jonathan Harker returns to uh, London as well. Um, however, there are two important women. There's his fiance uh, and then wife, Mina Harker, and their friend, Lucy Westenra. And so Lucy is kind of the more important female character to begin with. Uh, she's the one who draws Dracula's attention. She also has three suitors, none of whom are in the, the movie. Arthur Holmwood, Quincy Morris, the American, and oh, someone else. I don't remember. Also, the vampire hunter Van Helsing is not in the movie at all. Uh, there's no like parallel character there as well. In contrast to Count Dracula, Orlock does not create other vampires, but simply kills his victims, which is why the townsfolk blame the plague for these deaths, right? Because they're just people dying. Orlock must also sleep by day as sunlight would kill him. However, if you read the original book, Dracula walks around during the daytime. Uh, it just diminishes his powers, but he is able to move around in, in sunlight. Mm -hmm. And then the ending is like way different, right? Here it's like, He's doing some stuff, and then he gets tricked into standing in the sun. Um, of course, in the Dracula novel, Van Helsing shows up, figures out what's going on. Lucy Westenra succumbs to D Dracula's curse. She dies uh, and then comes to life at night, uh, and the children like notice her. Uh, so they go and they open up her coffin and cut off her head and stuff her mouth with garlic so that she won't be and stake her through the heart so she won't be able vampire anymore and then mina harker starts being preyed upon by dracula uh she is also cursed so they decide they have to kill dracula so they like go into his house in london put sacramental wafers in his coffins he escapes with his last coffin back to transylvania they chase him down all the way across europe a couple of them go to his castle kill his wives uh, a couple of them chase him on a boat while others chase him on land. Uh, and finally, there's a confrontation where there are a group of uh, Romani who are transporting his coffin. They fight off the Romani and they manage to 
Harker and, and Quincy cut off his head and stab him through the heart. And as soon as they do that, the curse is lifted from Mina and she is no longer going to be a vampire, but Quincy Morris is mortally wounded and he dies. And Jonathan and Mina Harker have a son who they name Quincy. And that's kind of the end of the book. So there's a lot more, a lot more in the Dracula story. Yeah. There was a 1979 remake by Werner Herzog called Nosferatu the Vampire, starring Klaus Kinski as Count Dracula, not Count Orlok. Um, and apparently there is rumors of a, another remake being made. One started on Kickstarter in like 2014. And then in 2015, there was one announced with Robert Eggers writing and directing. Um, but that has just been apparently continually in production since then. Hmm. And of course, Nosferatu shows up in a bunch of places in popular culture. Lots of rock bands like to draw on it, like Blue Oyster Cult and uh, Queen and David Bowie apparently use footage in their Under Pressure music video. Hmm. Um, Video games and stuff. I don't need to necessarily mention specific ones, but yeah, lots of references to it. It is an impactful and important film. So there we go. That's Nosferatu. Nice. Also, it, it means uh, unclean. Oh, That word okay. means, uh, I believe. Let me look that up. I think. Oh, no, I could be wrong. It might just be from a Romanian word for vampire, apparently. Hmm. Translates as night creature. Oh, interesting. Oh, huh. interesting. Uh, it was used in the book Dracula to refer to Dracula. So that's where the inspiration for the term comes from. Nice. All right. Are you ready for a quiz? Uh, definitely. Definitely. Okay. I'm definitely ready for a quiz. Sweet. All right, here we go. These are all just having to do with either Nosferatu or Dracula mm-hmm. in some way. Question one. NOS-4-A2 is a vampiric robot created by the evil emperor from Planet Z in the animated television show Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. NOS-4-A2 is voiced by Craig Ferguson, and Wayne Knight voiced what evil emperor? Um, I think it's Emperor Zerg. It is Emperor Zerg. Yay! I thought it'd make it a little more challenging than just being like, uh, tell me, you know, Buzz Lightyear. Um, but yes, the evil Emperor Zerg. Mm-hmm. Correct, you were at 20 points. Uh, I figured you'd get that one, you know, being a Disney mom and all that. Yep. Okay, question two. Nosferatu is the current character name of Chamaco Valaguez Jr., which is itself a stage name. He took over the role from his father, who also went by Chamaco Valaguez in 2007. Before he became Nosferatu, he competed without a mask, but now his attire includes mask, black clothes, and hellish imagery. What line of work is this Rudo in? Um, I can't come up with the word. I think that you're talking about like the Mexican wrestlers with the masks, like the mask that Strong Bad wears. Like the mask that Strong Bad wears. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to pin it. <laughs> yes. Do I need to find the word in my brain? I think you do need to give me the, uh, the term. Oh, no. Ah. Uh... What is that called? I think it starts with an L. 
luchador is that i, I don't know if I, I, luchador is correct yes <laughs> a, a luchador or lucha libre is the like the term for that <laughs> mexican wrestling with people in masks yes uh-huh. nice well done yes he is a luchador uh okay you're at 30 points i don't have much to add to that i don't really know much about lucha libre so i can't really like it- is Strong Bad's mask, in fact, inspired by Luchadors? I think it is. I believe it is, yes. Yeah, cool. I, I mean, all right, question three. Nosferatu is the title of a 1999 publication written by Jean Marc L'Officier and Randy L'Officier and illustrated by Ted McKeever under the Elseworlds imprint. The main character, along with Barbara Gordson, investigate troubling rumors at Arkham Asylum. In the process, the main character is turned into Nosferatu and released back into the city. He kills the Laughing Man, saves Barbara, and returns to the asylum where he ousts Dr. Arkham and takes over. What well-known character stars as Nosferatu? And I can give you a hint if you need one. I think that my brain is in the right like franchise, but yeah, I'll take a hint. Elseworlds was uh, part of the DC comics. Okay, that publications that aligns with what I'm thinking, which is I'm, I should be thinking Batman, like that universe. I'm a little worried that maybe it's like a different, like non-Batman character, but I'm 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 just gonna go with Batman. It is Batman. Yay! Okay. Nice, nicely done. Reading the synopsis of that, it gets real weird. Um, apparently, they have, there's like a, a three book series of like inspired by german expressionism stuff this one is the batman one there's a superman one and a wonder woman one um weird weird Hmm. uh but yeah nice also barbara gordon is uh batgirl as well Hmm. and these are like weird variations on their names question four this one I don't have any hints for, and it's probably going to be the, the deepest cut. So okay. just as a warning. Uh, Dracula is the inspiration for Murnau's Nosferatu, a Hungarian noble woman whose marriage resulted in owning some land in Transylvania is considered one of the likely inspirations for Bram Stoker's Dracula. She was accused and found guilty of torturing and murdering hundreds of girls and women between 1590 and 1610. It was even rumored that she had bathed in the blood of virgins to maintain her youth. Who was this probably innocent lady? I don't really have a way of like guiding you to the name through other means. Um, I didn't know if maybe you'd heard of her. Here's the thing. I have, I'm pretty sure, but I cannot pull her name. I was in maybe third or fourth grade and I had a book of like creepy, spooky, like Halloween, like trivia tidbits. (laughs) I remember reading the Bades in the Blood of Virgins thing, but I don't remember her name. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to pass. Okay. It is Elizabeth Batori. Okay. Yeah, I was never going to pull it. Yeah, I didn't know if that happened to be a name. I yeah, I realize that <clears throat> that's a deeper cut, and uh, yeah, figured we got to have one. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's particularly good. hard one. Yeah, um, good to have. But good to have a deep one in there. Also, her story is very interesting, and uh, a lot of historical 
perspectives are that it was really like she may not have done actually any of that and it may have all been politically motivated after mm. her husband died as ways of attempting to reduce her influence in favor of the neighboring Habsburgs. Imagine that. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, she, she was placed under house arrest for like the last 20 years of her life or whatever. Yikes. 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. Question five. You are at 40 points. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of the top grossing films of 1972 was directed by William Crane and starred William Marshall in the title role. Marshall plays Prince Mamuwalde, who traveled to Transylvania in 1780 to ask Count Dracula for help stopping the slave trade. Dracula refuses and instead makes a pass at his wife, and they fight. Mamuwalde is bitten, transformed, and trapped in a coffin. That coffin is opened in modern-day Los Angeles, and the film progresses. What is the title of this cinematic classic? Oh, what is the title of that cinematic classic? Both William Crane and William Marshall were known for other roles in the 1970s in this particularly exploitative genre. Uh, I mean, I think the genre we're talking about sounds like it's black exploitation but I don't think I know the title of the film. I could also tell you that it is a pun. Hmm. That's a pun. Oh, I'm not a hundred percent sure this is the, the name of a film, although it sounds right. It feels like it's ringing a bell, but like, Ooh, like coming up with a black exploitation vampire pun. It's like, <laughs> I'm a out on spot, huh? uh, it's a weird spot. Um, but I, I feel like maybe it's, Blackula? Oh, it's Blackula. Yes! <laughs> I take it you've never seen Blackula. I have not seen Blackula. It is a classic. It is very much 1970s black exploitation. I watched it when I was like, I don't know, 17? Mm-hmm. I think it's worth watching once. Okay. It is interesting, uh, and it is certainly a product of its time. I. But yes, mm-hmm. that is Blackula. There's also a sequel to Blackula called Scream Blackula Scream. From hmm. 1973. Okay. Uh, yes. So there you go. Apparently, there was a wave of black exploitation themed horror films that followed the success mm. of Blackula. Yeah. Uh, it was either that or ask you about Dr. Acula from Scrubs. Mm. All right. You have 50 points. And our final category is animal anatomy. Animal anatomy. I'll wager 45. Okay. For 95 points. The Nosferatu is a genus of chichlids endemic to the Rio Panuco Basin and the Tamihua Lagoon and San Andres Lagoons, which spread across numerous states in Mexico. They are characterized by a relative prolongation of their symphysial what? Hmm. They are so named because this particular part of them resembles uh, the appearance of Count Orlock in, in that per- particular thing. I don't know how to say it without yeah. saying it. I feel like vampire question, kind of the intuitive answer is going to be like teeth, but somehow that does not feel quite right in this case. If I say that it's a characterized by a relative prolongation of the pair of symphysial what? Oh, 
pear. Symphysial? I wish I knew what that meant. Yeah. Let me me find out what that means. I don't know if I can, because it's very specific. Okay. Um, Pear. I feel like you obscured what kind of animal we're talking about in scientific jargon on purpose in the question. They're a type of kitchlids or sitchlids. I'm not trying to pronounce it. Kitchlids. Kitchlids. I... Which I'll tell you, it's a type of fish. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to bring to mind, I was like, what is that? Is it an insect? All right, a type of fish. I was assuming that it was a body part that Nosferatu also had, but now I'm wondering if maybe it's fins. I'm going to go with fins. It's teeth. Oh, it is teeth. Oh, no, it was teeth. It's it's just teeth. It was teeth the whole time. It's Ah. just their teeth because they have big, long, they have a pair of big, long teeth. I overthought it. That's okay. It happens. And symphysis apparently is the growing together or the fixed or almost fixed union of two bones. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. As the two halves of the lower jaw. So apparently that's what that means. Well, I'm I'm very sorry, Emily. You were on a roll. And then I overthought it. The teeth brought you down. Like I do. (laughs) No, no, we never do that. (laughs) No, never. (laughs) This was very fun. And I know so much more about Nosferatu than than I did which is embarrassing for somebody who spent the amount of time that I have consuming vampire media. Well, hey, there's always more. Yep, that's right. So thanks so much mm-hmm. for uh, making a podcast with me, as always. Um, and thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review, if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are fans of Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week. With a week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm -hmm.